welcome to Safe Inside, brought to you by Theratribe. I'm Jeremy Loomis, and these are my conversations with Sandra Fields, an LPC and certified clinical trauma treatment provider with over 35 years experience helping people who have been through trauma. Welcome back to Safe Inside. I'm Jeremy. I'm Sandy. We're just coming off of our discussion about the vagus nerve and ways to help calm yourself. Today, we're going to talk about the hidden epidemic of sexual abuse. This is a more difficult topic, and uh, I do want to say we're going to treat it with respect, and we're not going to get into uh, explicit situations. Um, But if this is a sensitive area for you, whether for things you've experienced yourself or things that have happened uh, to somebody close to you in your life, uh, just be aware that this may be one you want to return to and maybe one you're not ready to listen to right now. So with that said, Sandy, where do we begin? Well, I think, Jeremy, I think the best place to begin is actually with the numbers. Um, I think because we've talked about childhood abuse and we've sort of hinted around at childhood sexual abuse as we've been going through this, and I've said it's a lot more um, within the society than we like to to think about. We really don't like to think about children being sexually abused. And so we kind of hide from it. We run from it. And yet the numbers say that it's a lot more basically actually this epidemic in our society that we are not addressing really and truly. There's a few of us trying to patch up on the other end of it, you know, and there's there's all of these things that are happening. We'll talk about the efforts that we've made, but none of them are really addressing the true epidemic of this childhood sexual abuse. So let's start with with some basic numbers. Um, According to the Crime Victim Center, their statistics, as well as the National Child Traumatic Stress Network, their statistics, one in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused by the time they're 18 years old. That's actually conservative. I've actually heard it greater than that. It's hard to imagine that any statistics like these would be a true reflection of just how much actually happened based on it being difficult to come forward with. Yes, absolutely. Because it is that we know that less than 10% of childhood sexual abuse is ever reported to the police. Um, Some statistics are saying it's less than 5% are actually reported Mm. to anyone in authority. So this is through people dealing with them, people reporting it as adults. This is what happened to me as a child, that kind of thing, because um, it's not something that we want to talk about. And many children don't have the words to come forward. Or if they do, they might not be believed. So, you know, it's one of the things we do see a really good campaign around. If some child discloses to you, please believe them. And, you know, that's actually a good thing. If we're thinking about this particular statistics, the one in three girls, one in six boys, the likelihood of that child in front of you being abused is actually pretty high. And then we also know that somewhere between 1% and 4% at the very tip top are kids who are fabricating um, around this. And, 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 And what exactly is that? Well, usually when they're fabricating, most of the time, these are children who have been sexually abused, but by someone other than they're reporting. 
So it, a lot of times it is that. It's less than 1% is just straight out lying uh, about okay. sexual abuse. And these are usually older children. These are not your five-year-olds who are doing that. These are your teens, um, that, that, that age group. But even in that age group, it's like 1%. So when we think about one in three girls and one in six boys, if they're saying that they've been sexually abused, odds are likely that they might very well have been. Um, we know that one in five youth altogether who are old enough to be on the internet, which is starting at about eight-ish on to 18, one in five of these kids received a sexual approach or a solicitation over the internet in the past year. That's not their whole lifetime, that's in the past year alone, one in five. So 20% of our children are in the process sometime this year of receiving a sexual approach or a solicitation through the internet. Hmm. I know that's crazy. That's a lot. That's, that's an awful lot. And, and I wonder if we had to zoom in a little bit about what, what's got to be going on inside the mind of a child and processing what that even means well a lot of times exactly and and a lot of times it's these children who are on the internet and they're approached by a stranger and they they may or may not know it's an adult sometimes adults pretend that they're kids online but either way these children are getting validation they're feeling special they're feeling sought out um and so they they sometimes respond to this and when we think about how endemic the internet has come to be in our children's lives, you know, when, when my kids, and yes, I'm much older, my kids are, are almost middle-aged or maybe middle-aged, depending on who you look at, right? But when they were growing up in the 90s, for instance, when they were teenagers, we had a home computer and we had the internet, and that's when the internet started getting kind of big. Oh, yes. Yeah. Wasn't that when we had to take turns with the internet? Yes, we took turns with the internet and our phone because they didn't do it at the same time, right? We had the mm -hmm. dial-up. And all of the, the safety protocols were you keep the, the computer in a public location in the house so that sexual predators couldn't find your children. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. We, had a, we shared a computer because who had computers in your bedrooms anyway? We didn't have laptops too much back then. Um, and the internet was a dial-up and it... We knew they were on because our phone wouldn't work. And then also, you know, they had this public location where we all walked by. But today, 10, 11, 12-year-olds who have cell phones, now the internet has access in their bedrooms and in their bathrooms. Scares me to death. But, you know, it's, and they're kids. They, they don't see the danger. I know that when we were kids, we acted crazy. We did tricks on our bikes. I look back and go, what in the world were we thinking? Well, we were thinking we were kids. Yeah, and, and, and part of what comes with being a kid is being curious. And that is a good thing. But yes. in, context of the, uh, in context of an unmoderated internet access, that can be a very dangerous thing. Absolutely. So when we think one in five of these, these kids are receiving a, select, a sexual approach or a solicitation, you know, it's... it's it's understandable that it can be that many. Um, the average age for the very first sexual abuse is 9.9 .9 years old for boys and 9.6 years old for girls. I don't that's know if that average, surprises. Huh? 
the average age for the first sexual abuse. Does that seem like really little to you? Yeah, that's pretty little. But for that to be an average, that means there's a fair amount of even younger kids represented in the statistic. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. So um, abuse typically for children occurs within a long-term ongoing relationship between the offender and the victim, and it escalates over time, and typically it lasts an average of four years. So when I said earlier about these efforts that we try to make to protect our children that they might miss the mark, I think all of us know when I say stranger danger, we all know what that means. But I'm going to talk about some statistics here in a minute, but think about this. If abuse typically occurs within a long-term ongoing relationship between the offender and the victim that escalates over time and lasts an average of four years, not many strangers fit that bill. Yeah, not many strangers can. That's exactly right. It's like in the movies where you you have to steal somebody's key card to get access to, you know, whatever it is you're trying to do in a heist movie or or a spy movie, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. no, these people generally already have the key card. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, For these for these kids, many of them, like we said earlier, we don't they don't report them to anyone, let alone the police. And maybe it'd be and maybe if there were going to be a situation where it would be easier it would be if it were a stranger because maybe you would maybe you would seek out somebody you trust but when it happened to you from somebody you trusted that puts you in a really confusing place a very confusing place um at the same time if if it's someone that within your family and if you report this what happens to the family you know you might get in trouble or you know, how do we come back from that? Or do they put me in foster care? Because that seems pretty scary. Or all of these things come to this child, right? Uh, along with the the sometimes, you know, genuine desire not to get the other person in trouble. You didn't want them to do what they did, but that's that comes with the conflicted feelings of, you know, they have been somebody trusted. You don't see them as all bad, even though you you're left trying to make meaning of this incident in isolation. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, And I want to point out that children are actually most vulnerable between the ages of seven and 13. Before seven, a lot of the children are in their mother's care. Mothers are way less likely to sexually abuse a child than a father. Um, But they are more cared for. They're not out of people's sight. After 13, when they're like 14 and older, they're typically old enough to be entering into uh, consensual relationships with other teens and not as vulnerable. Not to say that it doesn't happen on both ends. I want to be very clear about that. However, they're most vulnerable between 7 and 13. This is the age where they start exploring by themselves. I know when I was that age, I was riding my bike miles away from home, it feels like. And I think back, it was probably a mile or two. I know we don't do that now, but we did back then. Kids play outside by themselves during this age. They're on the internet by themselves during this age. They might be kids who come home to an empty house because parents have to work, you know, and they're capable, quite capable of fixing their own snack and, and for an hour or two. So they're, they're more vulnerable at this stage. 
29%, almost 30% of all forcible rapes, period, occurred when the victim was under 11 years old. What, how many percent again? 29%. So that's more than one in four. Yes. Of all, all forcible sexual assault under 11 years old. No wonder people want to pretend it isn't real. Right, right. 15% of sexual assault uh, victims are under the age of 12 total, period. 44% of sexual assault and rape victims are under the age of 18, 44%. When we think about sexual assault, we think about the woman walking down the dark street by herself and some stranger grabbing her, which that does happen. However, 44% of these things are, uh, happen to children under the age of 18. So put that in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't want, I don't want my observation here to be uh, overblown, but it, it does occur to me. And I think it's worth mentioning. There are things that make sense to include as situations on a TV show or a movie. And then there are things you'd be much less likely to include, maybe because they'd make the audience uncomfortable. But I do wonder, I do wonder how much we take our cue from what becomes familiar, what we've seen over and over. I think one of the first episodes of Death Note, if any of my anime lovers are out there, one of the first, one of the first ways the, the notebook was used against somebody was because they were a thug attacking a woman uh, at night. And that is, that is, you know, that's the trope. That's the way we expect these things are going to happen when they happen. Yes, yes. And again, th those things do happen. I don't want to discredit that at all. For sure. Uh, I mean, especially this week when in, here in Tennessee, when we had the woman who was kidnapped and, and murdered in Memphis last weekend, um, you know, it, it becomes very obvious that these things do happen. But I agree, Jeremy. I don't think that we have these... TV shows around these things because they make all of us uncomfortable, right? We don't like to think about our children being hurt this way and used this way and abused this way, right? But there is a reason that Law and Order SVU, for instance, was so popular um, and still is. I think it's still on like 30 years later, right? Um, Didn't they recently have a new series startup? I think so. I think they did like out in California or something. I have to look and see. I, obviously, I watch a lot of TV, apparently not. <laughs> but um, I did watch a lot of SVU, as did most of us, because it's, it talked about subjects like this in a way that felt a little more comfortable. And yet, we it touched on pieces of us that we know are there. I mean, if 30% of all forcible rapes are under the age of 18. And if we know that one in three girls and one in six boys experience some type of sexual abuse as children, then we, we can say, well, that would be why there's a lot of the population that feels like something like Law and Order SVU 
speaks to them a little bit because that representation is not in our society. Children who have been sexually abused, they keep it quiet because it becomes their shame and not someone else's shame. You know, I, I like to say if someone was walking down the street and they were mugged and their wallet or their purse were stolen from them, they would tell it to everybody. They would be, oh my gosh, can you believe this is what happened to me? I can't believe this is what happened to me because in that telling over and over again in safe situations, their trauma is healed. You expect validation in that kind of situation. Absolutely. But if someone I can't believe that happened to you either. That'll be the response you can expect. Right. Oh my gosh, you poor thing. Of course you're upset. Right. But if someone comes up and says, Hey, when I was five, my uncle fondled me. And we'd all be going, Oh, okay. And then we would change the subject because we don't want to talk about that. So that natural telling and that space of safety and that validation and that empathy is not present. And so what happens is it's like, oh, then maybe I should be ashamed of this and not say anything. Oh, this is too personal. Okay, I should keep this personal. Oh, this is, this is not appropriate for society. I should be quiet about this. That's an interesting that's an interesting thing to emphasize. I, you know, uh, the, it's a popular enough thing to say that secrets keep people sick. Yes. Um, but that, whether we're talking in the realm of sexual abuse or uh, we can talk about just about any realm of society, yeah. it's, it's a systemic disease. Yes. All these kinds of secrets with people. <laughs> oh, Gosh, um, Mr. Rogers popularized this. I think he was quoting his mentor, and I forget the name. But the but what was said was anything that's human is mentionable. Yes, and anything yes. that is mentionable can be more manageable. And and that's the thing. It's like we're we're it. it if anybody out there ever gets the feeling that that you're you're only you're only seeing what's in front of the curtain and you have this feeling that so much more of life is happening behind the curtain mm -hmm. um that, that maybe you're not going crazy maybe maybe it's true that most maybe not most but quite a lot of what is part of being human is part that we've decided to just kind of shove away and pretend it isn't part of us and so while we may still maintain relationships we maintain relationships that don't go to those depths we decide that we're going to handle so much of our human experience in complete isolation honestly that's we're probably going to have to uh, uh put a pin in that and come back to it uh, in an episode on shadow work yes yes i would agree i would but thinking about how that separates people who've experienced childhood sexual abuse one in three girls, one in six boys. They can't tell this part of their story. They have to hide it because it's shameful is the message that they receive. When we add in children with disabilities, they are four to 10 times more vulnerable to sexual abuse than their non-disabled peers. 
four to 10 times, depending on their disability. Nearly 30% of child sexual assault victims identified by Child Protective Services were between four and seven years of age. So when I said, let's not leave out those ins, right? Nearly 30% between four and seven years. 93% of juvenile sexual assault victims know their attacker. Remember I said stranger danger is not really addressing the issue. 93% of these children know their attacker. Somewhere, depending on where, who did the study, somewhere between the lowest is 34.2% that I've seen, the highest is 57% of the attackers are family members. So somewhere between 34.2 and 57%, these were family members. It's such a wide differences in the study because a lot of it had to do with disclosing and it's hard to get that disclosure um, from, from sexual abuse victims because what we just said, right? So 93% were known to their attacker. So that really means it's unusual, if anything, for this to happen with a stranger. Absolutely. Five, five or 6%, that's, that's still it's, a lot. But statistically, right. it's, it's less usual for it to be somebody you've, you've not known. That's right. It's less usual. So it's 7% of the perpetrators are strangers to the children. 93% uh, are known. Um, between that 34.2 and the 57%, the remaining amount are family friends, acquaintances, coaches, teachers, babysitters, people that the child knows in their life. Um, so it's, it's somewhere in between that, depending on how many of those were family members. So yeah, 93%. So that stranger danger, as well-intentioned as it is, has us now looking for strangers when really we might should be looking a little closer to home to protect these children, right? And what a, what a paradigm shift we're calling for within that, because it doesn't, I mean, it, it must affect people's uh, ability to, to, to have any place in their mind to store the information when they're being yes. told what actually happened. Absolutely, absolutely. And when we think about it, and, and those of you who might already feel a little triggered at this point, this would be a good place to go ahead and stop for now, um, because I'm going to get into some specifics around types of sexual assault um, and, the, and the statistics around that. So I'll give you just a second to go ahead and, and stop if you need to. Nearly 50% of all the victims of, hear me now, of all victims of forcible sodomy or sexual assault with an object are children under age of 12. I want to repeat that again, even though it's hard to hear. Nearly 50% of all sexual abuse victims who experience forcible sodomy or sexual assault with an object are children under the age of 12. 60% of girls who had sex before the age of 15 were coerced, coerced by males averaging six years their senior. 
Women who experience sexual abuse as a child are two to three times more likely to be sexually assaulted later in life. Because that sexual assault as a child, it sort of breaks a safety protective thing that we have within us. Part of good trauma treatment is actually enhancing that safety in our clients um, because it's, we know that it's been broken. It's been violated in a way that needs repair. And so they are two to three times more likely to be re-victimized later in life. Uh, child molestation is one of the most underreported crimes. We talked about this. Only somewhere they're guessing between one and 10% are ever disclosed. That uh, statistics come from the FBI law enforcement bulletin. Um, is, they're guessing that one to 10% are the only ones ever speaking out, period, to anyone. Uh, I mentioned earlier that fabricated sexual assault or abuse reports by children constitute one to 4% of all reported cases. Of these reports, 75% are reported by adults, not to children. So children are fabricating sexual abuse less than 1% of the time. And they're usually the older kids, by the way. It is estimated that there are 60 million survivors of childhood sexual abuse in America as of today. September 9th, 2022, 60 million. So what is that costing us as a society, right? What is, it, what is it doing to us as a society? So some of the effects of childhood sexual abuse, things like the experience of sexual abuse for a child, it distorts his, her, or their self-concept. It distorts their orientation to the world. It distorts their feelings, their affective capabilities, their emotional range. We talked about a shortened emotional range in one of our episodes. They have much higher rates of depression, much higher rates of anxiety, substance abuse, dissociative disorders, a lot higher rate of interpersonal dysfunction. They obviously, their relationship capacity has been, has been damaged and violated. So of course, yeah. they're going to have interpersonal issues, right? And you yeah, can imagine yeah. they're, yeah, they're going to have sexual problems in their life. Oh, that makes sure. total sense. Maybe more than they would expect. Absolutely. You're going to have suicide ideation. That's going to be more likely. And all of and, these. And, and the thing that may not be obvious, so I'll mention it, is that these, these are, they seem like a lot of different symptoms. And technically they are, but they're symptoms of aloneness. Yes. Yes, aloneness and violation within that aloneness, right? Uh, teenagers, adolescents who have a history of child sexual abuse are significantly more likely to engage in a lot of sexual behavior that puts them at risk for HIV infection and other STIs and STDs. Uh, literature's done a disfavor because they kind of say, well, they've been sexually abused they, they, they won't let anyone touch them. And more times than not, it's actually the opposite there. They have hardly any boundaries around it. And so they, they are much more promiscuous in their sexual behavior as teenagers and early adults. 
there was, um, you know, as we were thinking about the effects in our society, it's the, the earliest one or the latest one I could find was actually 1996, which should say something, by the way. But there was a 1996 report from the US Department of Justice, and it estimated that the sexual abuse of children that we're talking about costs somewhere between $1.5 billion in medical expenses and an estimated $23 billion total annually that it costs in the United States alone, period. And that was in 96. I know inflation has gone up a lot since then. Mm. You have to wonder also how much they're not counting in that number because uh, mm -hmm. we've already talked about uh, traumas cross-generational. Yes. What, what, yes. what we don't reckon with and lay to rest for ourselves, um, to some extent, we pass to those who come after us. Absolutely, we do. We do in one way or another. And we do know, like we're talking about, that when sexually abused children are not treated, society has to then later deal with all of that resulting problems, like mental health issues, drug and alcohol abuse, crime, suicide, and what you're just saying, that perpetuation of that cycle of sexual abuse sometimes. I said that out loud. It's true. However, I do want to give a quick disclaimer not everyone who was sexually abused as a child grows up to be a sexual abuser. The, the percentages are actually smaller around that. I want to just clarify that very clearly. That's an so, important note. Yeah. Yes, yes. We don't, you know, we don't think, want any survivors to be mixed up with that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It, it, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, too, to think about. Uh, you know, anything you'd lean on for addiction, which may be drugs, maybe alcohol, maybe other human beings um if we for a moment could lay aside the right and wrong of trying to adapt to what's happened to you and and instead look at it as you know you're paying for one kind of medicine or another it may not be a medicine that heals you but it may be a medicine that helps you manage the symptoms and and in either case it's it's not a final answer because it still doesn't solve the isolation it doesn't right. let you it doesn't let you be known and still received yes agreed agreed so those are the statistics that i thought would be helpful to help us understand the scope of this actual serious problem that we have in our society you know it's of course obviously it's something i'm very passionate about but there's a reason it's because i feel like the United States is on fire in this, and no one, and I'm yelling fire, fire, and everyone's going, oh, sit down and be quiet. We're fine. But we've got to start somewhere, and we need to have these uncomfortable conversations. As we say in trauma treatment, we have to speak the unspeakable. And some of this is hard for me to even say after all these years of being like really used to saying these things, but we have to speak the unspeakable in order to then diagnose the issue and, and solve the problem. So, so Sandy, as, as somebody's listening to this today, and, and maybe it's even maybe it's even stirring them up to say, you know, I, I think I think I do want to finally tell somebody what's happened to me, but I don't know where to begin. Or I don't, or I don't have anybody that I would tell. 
what, uh, what's maybe a starting point, a first step in kind of trying to approach what, what now must feel monolithic to even try to approach? Yes, and actually I would, I would say don't disclose it to just anybody because it is uncomfortable and not everyone is equipped to hear it at this point. Um, but there are mental health professionals across the country um, who would be glad to hear your story and who would have the tools to help you sort through it and figure it out and work through it. I wanna say something that Dr. Peter Levine says quite a bit. There is a cure for trauma. It's not like you have to live your life this way. It's not as if we can't fix it. We can't change what happened, but what we can do is change how you respond to the here and now in a way that feels good and healthy and okay. So there is help for that. So I would say a mental health professional. Look online, of course, Theratribe is always looking for clients. We're always glad to at least help refer you to someone if, if uh, necessary. You can also yeah. look online for counselors near you. Make sure you put trauma-informed therapist or trauma-competent, or put the word trauma around that therapist or counselor when you Google. Um, so that is someone who's comfortable because not all therapists um, are trained in trauma as well as maybe they should be. Yeah. Yeah. So yep, I think you're, uh, you're, you're going to see our website. If you're listening on any of the, the podcast platforms, feel free to check us out if you're interested, but you are a little nervous about going in blind. Be aware that if you, if you come to us, we're going to give you a 30 a 30 minute free consultation you can start to yes. you can start to feel it out and see if if this is a fit or not because mm -hmm. that is going to be important if you're disclosing something that's hard for you to tell anybody about you're going to want to disclose it to somebody you can feel at ease with yes absolutely absolutely which is why we offer that free consultation call for sure i think you know as we're talking about the the society dealing with resulting problems um I think our next episode is going to be around borderline personality disorder and how I believe it is a trauma response um, or a certain set of trauma responses, I think. So, yeah. Yes. Well, feel free to reach out to us if this has resonated with you and if this is something that you want to take action on about. And, and otherwise, please join us next week as we get into uh, trauma responses and borderline personality disorder. We'll talk to you soon. Yes.